this was basically a thing we saw from the book of Philippians. We're visiting, we're going just kind of section by section through the book of Philippians together. Because the book of Philippians, let me give you a background. The book of Philippians, the apostle Paul wrote while he was in prison, thinking he's going to be executed um, at, for his Christian faith. And he writes the whole theme of the book of, Ephes- of, of Philippians is how joyful he is and how he tells other people to be joyful. We thought, if there's anything we should be focused on right now in this this kind of crazy time in America, is how to be joyful in the midst of a a bunch of chaos. And so last week, as we were going through this, we saw how Paul's, this is the phrase we talked about, Paul's eternal perspective triumphed over his temporary situation. And that he could be joy-filled, even in prison, because he knew that what lied ahead in his life, in his eternity, was greater than what he was experiencing in the here and now. And so Paul, these are the amazing words we read last week. Paul could honestly write these words. He wasn't lying. He wasn't exaggerating. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And we realized, we talked about, he wasn't some depressive man who had suicidal thoughts. He was a joy-filled man who just understood that what was ahead was better than what is here and now. And now in the verses we're going to look at today, he's going to, um, Paul is going to turn his attention away from himself, where he had been for the last couple of sections we looked at, turn his attention away from himself, and he writes about the type of life that he hopes the Christians in Philippi would live out as they lived out their Christian life. And if he would write that to the people in Philippi saying, hey, Christian people, here is a kind of good life that you should live, we surely can then take what he says to them and apply it to our lives as we are living for Christ. So let's see what Paul has to say about how Christian people are to live their lives, in particular, remember the context, in particular, in the midst of a world that devalues them as Christians, because that was going on at the time, in a world at that time that was opposed to Christianity, and a world that was actually fighting against Christianity, because that was their world. He says, how can I live joyful in the midst of, how should I live in the midst of that kind of context? So let's look at Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 27 to 30 and see what Paul has to say about how do we live a right life in the midst of a world that's opposed to us. He says, verse 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or are men absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Now, we'll stop right there. Now, in this text, I see some very clear things that Paul says that he calls Christians to live out. We're going we're gonna to talk about those in a minute some very clear things that we're going to pull out of the text that he says, here's some ways that you should live out this Christian life. But before we get to those, I think there's something that we need to consider before we look at the specifics. And it's this, and it's an an underlying concept, and it's a concept that I'm not sure that, that a lot of people in the church world even today are really believing anymore, and it's this. Paul is laying this all his teaching on this foundation, 
that there are expectations for Christian living. That there are expectations for Christian living. Paul writes this. He says, he starts out by saying, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, live in such a way that you're living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. He saying, listen, church, listen, Christian people, there are some expectations on Christian living. And I was thinking about this. When was the last time myself or you, when was the last time we evaluated our conduct and our actions and our life decisions through the lens of them being worthy of the gospel of Christ? Think about what that means today. Think about what the gospel of Christ says to us. It says, God loves mankind and all creation so limitlessly that he himself came into the world that he created in order to make himself more completely known to mankind. And that in coming to the world that he gave his life in our place that God himself died for the sin of mankind for the sin guilt of all of us, and then God himself rose from the dead, freeing mankind from the curse of sin and death. And what Paul is saying, that's the gospel. What Paul is saying is, as Christians, let's conduct our lives in a way that honors what God has done for us through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that because we have received such blessing and such grace and such an amazing gift, then how we choose to live our lives should reveal our gratitude for God's goodness. And if we think of that, that, there are, that God is saying, live your lives in light of my gospel, I believe that'll challenge how we live. We'll ask ourselves, am I honoring Christ with the life I choose to live? Am I honoring Christ with the things I choose to do. I'm honoring Christ, but even the things I choose not to do. The Apostle Paul here is saying this underlying concept is he's saying, as Christians, we need to think about that. We need to think about, am I living in a way that is honoring, worthy of the gospel? And with that underlying, what Paul then does in this text, the rest of these verses, is he explains how we could live such a life, one that he says is worthy of the gospel of Christ. So as you look at the text, what's the first thing we see about such a life that Paul says, here is how we could live that life? Well, the first thing we see is that Christians, he's saying, should stand firm in one faith. Look at verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, he's saying whether I get out of jail or not, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. What's he mean by that? Standing firm in one spirit, he's basically saying this, that there will be unity in the church, that there will be unity in the family of God. And we need to remember something when we we read at Scripture, when we look at Scripture. Paul was writing to real flesh and blood Christian people just like you and just like me. And 2,000 years ago, He had to remind Christians of the same thing that we need to be reminded about today, that the body of Christ, the family of God, must be unified. We must choose and fight to live together in unity. And I mean by that, fight for unity. We need to fight to stay connected together and unified. You see, there is something unique about being Christian. 
Before Christ in your life, think of this. Each of us is identified primarily by something. We're either male or female, black or white, brown or Italian, German, Brazilian, Republican, Democrat, something. We were identified by what is unique to us, but also by what makes us different than somebody else. So you're either a Viking fan or a Packer fan or a Lions fan. And you, you identify that I'm different than you. Yes, I'm with the Packers, but I'm different than you because you're a Viking fan and I'm a Lions fan. Or you're a Republican and I'm a Democrat. Or you're an Italian and I'm a, you know, whatever, Brazilian. We looked at what makes us different than other people. But that all changes when you come to Christ. Now in Christ, you, the Bible says this, you are a new creation. It says this, you have a new identity, that you are now a Christian, one who identifies with Christ as your Savior and your Lord. And the Bible says you are now citizens, not of this world. Yes, you're still a citizen of the world, but before that, you are citizens of the kingdom of God. And that identity, your identity as a child of God is now the most important thing in your life. That identity now unites all of us together. So you could be all those things we listed, but none of those things is primary. The primary thing that unifies us now is that we are all children of God, fellow citizens of the kingdom of God, that I am first and foremost a Christian, and along with all of the Christians, we make up the body of Christ, that we are unified together. We are joined together as the family of God, the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul, who wrote Philippians, also wrote to the Ephesians. And this is what he said to the Ephesians about the same thing. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, listen to how Apostle Paul talks to to them about they were disunified. He's saying, this is how you're now unified together, primarily above everything else in your life. You are now unified as Christians. Listen to what he says to them. He says, so then you are no longer, say no longer, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in his spirit. Christians are united into a dwelling place of the Spirit of God. We are no longer strangers to one another. What's to say here? But we are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Friends, when you're a Christian, when you have given your life to Christ, we are then united whether we know it or not. Paul here is calling Christians to live out this unity to recognize it, and to live it out. In Portview, this is an incredibly vital message for our world today because our culture is being splintered and divided. And I'm not saying it's happening a lot in here, but it is happening a lot in our culture. That division is even dividing people in the church in America today. People are taking sides And as they do that, what do they do? When they take sides, they are demonizing those who disagree with them. Instead of simply disagreeing, 
many times Christians are acting just like those who don't know Christ, who don't know any better, and they're destroying the unity for the sake of winning. We're destroying unity for the sake of getting our way. We're destroying unity for the sake of making a political point. And Paul is saying, we as children of God are supposed to be different. We are to live lives, he says, what? Worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's a life that stands in unity with other Christians. Now, does that mean you're always going to agree with everybody else who's a child of God? No. Are you married? Right? Do Suzanne and I always agree? Do we, honey? No, we don't always agree. But what it means is we must extend love and we must extend grace and we must extend understanding to others that see things differently because we have to be wise friends. There are people in the family of God that because of their life experiences and because of their social settings and because of just simply the geography where they live, their culture has formed them like our culture has formed us. And because of that, we see things differently and people will disagree. Good and godly people will disagree. But in the church, we need to hold unity above being right on some social or political issue. Of course, I'm not extending this to core doctrinal issues. Those things are we stand on and they're truth. But I'm talking about social and political issues. Have you ever heard the old saying that says you can win the battle and lose the war? Ever heard that saying? Yeah? Well, here's the reality, friends. You can stand up for your position and even prove others wrong and make enemies of other Christians, and you say, but I won the battle. But here's the deal. But in the process, you are destroying the body of Christ. And if we destroy the body of Christ, we are losing the war. You make the church lose the war. By, by, by dividing, we make the church lose its effectiveness. We need to understand something. Now more than ever in our lives, the church is the only answer to our society's problems. Real change will only come when people are transformed by the love and forgiveness of Jesus and united together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Cross-denominationally, when we understand we are the body of Christ and we stand together, we are the only answer to our world. There's no other answer. Every other thing has been tried and nothing works. The only answer to our society's problems is the church of Jesus Christ. And Paul's appeal for Christian unity is an appeal for the preservation and the development, the ongoing development of the only agency on earth that can ultimately bring transformation, and that is the church of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is here, for the church to be the transforming agent that it is intended to be, it must be unified. And that's why the enemy of our souls fights so hard to breed disunity in the body of Christ. In local churches, in, in denominations, cross-denominationally, it's why the enemy wants to bring division. Because if we're divided, we're, 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 we, we're powerless. But we're unified, we're the body of Christ. And there's nothing that can stop what God does through his family. That makes sense? Amen? So when Paul says we should live lives worthy of the gospel... He starts by saying we need to be unified in the body of Christ. And then he adds this. As a unified body, we then need to do this. We need to work together 
in gospel activity. Look at, look at the rest of verse 27. He says um, that you are to stand firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. With one mind, so this unity, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Striving together for the faith. Paul is saying a life worthy of the gospel is you and me joining our efforts together to protect and to advance the faith. This really got me thinking. In this COVID world that has changed everything about how we do everything, we come to church, we sit seats apart, we we have limited attendance, we have wear masks. In this COVID world where we've canceled um, a lot of the things that we go on, um, how are we working together? This COVID world isn't if it wasn't a reality, we, would, we could point to how are we working together much simpler. We could, we could look at our church calendar and say, you know how we're working together? We could just know that two or three weeks ago. We would have done our hometown hero event. Who remembers hometown heroes? And how sad we were when we had to cancel it. If you're visiting, we have this incredible event for all of the first responders of Ozaki County all the police and firemen and first, re- first responders and dispatchers and all the, and we bring them together here at our church and we bless them with a completely free event and they come in and, and our idea is, is to love on them for Christ, to let them experience the love of Christ and maybe some of them that don't know Christ will come to know him. Well, because of COVID, we had to cancel that and it, and it broke our hearts and, and all events like that have been canceled. So we ask ourselves this question. Paul says that we are to work together for the cause of Christ. And we ask this question, so how are we joining together to defend and advance the faith? Well, surely a lot of people join together today to do things that make this, this church work. There's people right now serving in kids' ministry. Pastor Harold is, is, was, wasn't feeling well, so he's at home and other people have stepped up and they're running kids' ministry today. There's people in the nursery and a preschool today. There's people serving in our cafe. There's people serving on our worship team who showed up here at, at 7.30 this morning to practice and be part of the worship team and run all the sound and run the computers and do all that stuff. There's people this week who cut the grass at the church. All people. This church is an example of people joining together for the advancement of the faith of Jesus Christ. But, but how else can we do it in a COVID world? Every time your connect group gets together and you pray and you pray for your, for your family members and your friends and you encourage one another and you serve one another and you think, how as a group can we serve for the kingdom of God? You're working together for the faith. And I think this is a really good self-evaluation opportunity to think about your life honestly And ask, how am I living out what Paul says here is a life worthy of the gospel? How am I working together with other people for the faith, for the growth and the development of the Christian community and its influence in the world around us? How am I doing that? And that's a challenging question for us to ask ourselves. Who are you intentionally linking arms with to advance kingdom activity? Think of that. Right now, how could you answer that? Who are you intentionally linking arms with to advance the kingdom activity? Are you linking arms with your spouse to do it? Are you linking arms with your family to do it? Are you linking arms with your church family to do it? Are you linking arms with your friends to do it? I'm awful glad that we're linking arms with the Women's Care Center and that we are partnering with them to link arms to advance the kingdom cause in the world. And I was thinking this, maybe one of the positive results of COVID will be that big church events 
won't be the primary way of accomplishing ministry that we're linking together to do. Maybe it would be as much about us doing, not as much about us doing big events as it will about us joining with a few others to pray for our loved ones and to intentionally work together to share Jesus' love and truth with other people within our sphere of influence. Wouldn't it be a good thing if we are, we're restricted from maybe doing certain big events and that instead each of us would ask the question of ourselves, what would God want me to, what would he want to do through me and how can I join with a few others to love people for Christ? If that would happen and we'd honestly ask that question and we'd honestly listen and we'd honestly obey the voice of the Spirit, that would multiply ministry beyond anything the church could ever do. That would have significantly more impact on our community than any event, hometown hero event, the church could ever do. That that would move ministry from the church into homes and into neighborhoods and into, into workplaces and that would take the gospel to places that right now it's not going very well. And that would be a huge win for the kingdom of God. Amen? Now, there's one more thing that Paul points out in his text as a part of life that is living a life that is worthy of the gospel. He says this, we will stand strong in adversity. That's the verses 28 and 29 are about. Look at those verses. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, a lot of us wish that those verses didn't appear in the Bible, but here they are. And we have to ask ourselves, I was asking myself as I was reading this, why would the apostle Paul include this here? Here he is encouraging unity in the church. And he's encouraging Christians to work together in kingdom activity, to link arms and do the activity of the kingdom together. And then he adds, and suffer for Christ's sake. Why would he do that? Well, I think the reason that he had to include this here is because he just simply knows how the world works. If a church is in unity... If, if Christians are in unity, and if Christians are working together in kingdom activity, then Satan is going to see us, and he's going to see us as a threat, and he's going to come after us through the agency of other people, because that's how Paul says it works. Paul had experiences himself. He's sitting in jail because of this, and he wants us to know that persecution and adversity are simply part of the Christian life well lived. And a lot of times people think the result of a life well lived for Christ is just peace and ease. Paul says, no, no, no. The reality of a life well lived is that Satan's going to get ticked at you and adversity is going to come your way that you are a threat to Satan. You ever think the Women's Care Center faces any adversity? I guarantee you they face a ton. Why? Because they're on the front line doing the work of God. And if you live a life, a well-lived life honoring the gospel of Christ, then you are a threat to Satan and persecution will follow. And what Paul wants us to understand here is that we can stand strong in adversity. How? If we realize that our suffering is never in vain and that our suffering is not outside the control of God. Look at this. 
Look how the Apostle Paul describes suffering for Jesus' sake. Look what it says here. It has been granted for Christ's sake that you, and then it then also says to suffer for his sake. It has been granted for Christ's sake that you would suffer for his sake. Christian suffering isn't outside the view of God. It's interesting something here. That the word granted has been granted that you would suffer. The word granted is translated from the word that stands for, that means grace. That the word granted has been granted or graced that you will suffer. He's saying that there is a grace of God in suffering. You say, what in the world can that mean? See, if we understand that when we suffer for Christ's sake, I'm not saying suffer for wrongdoing, but suffer for honoring the gospel, that we have not been forsaken by God. That he can actually use suffering in positive ways in our life and in the world. That he can use suffering, first of all, to shape us. If you want to become more like Jesus, gets one way God's going to use it to help you become more like Jesus. You're going to have to walk through suffering. Jesus walked through suffering. We understand, understand, Paul wanted the fellowship of the suffering of Christ and the power of the resurrection. That we become shaped like Jesus when we suffer and we suffer well. We become more like Jesus. And then as we suffer well, what can happen is we can then reveal Jesus to the world through our suffering, to the on-looking world. And think about this. Think of how this works. In Matthew chapter 27, it tells about Jesus on the cross. There was a soldier standing at the foot of the cross. And you remember what Matthew records about the soldier at the foot of the cross? He looked to Jesus hanging on the cross, and this is what he said. Surely, this was the Son of God. Why did he say that? Jesus just suffered and died, and you would think logic would say, he surely must not be the Son of God, because why didn't he just get off the cross? But no, he looked at Jesus in the way he suffered, and he suffered so... Look, think of the two, the two people on either side of him that are crucified. Did they suffer well? No, they yelled and they screamed, and one cursed Jesus. They suffered like normal people. But Jesus suffered like a lamb before his shears is silent. Jesus suffered well, understanding that his suffering was part of the plan of God. And the soldier at the cross looked at Jesus on the cross and said, Surely this was the Son of God. How Jesus suffered in justice revealed the reality of God in his life. It revealed how different Jesus was than other people who suffered without the reality of God in their life. And this is true for us, friends. Jesus is our example. As we are unjustly treated, if we're lied about, if we're marginalized as Christians in a continually post-Christian world, if we act like Jesus acted in love and grace and kindness and forgiveness, then we will reveal his reality to the onlooking world. But if we act like the world acts in hate and anger and retaliation and disunity, then the world looks at us and says, you're absolutely no different. And if they say you're no different, then Jesus doesn't matter. But if we will live like Jesus and suffer like Jesus, we'll reveal the reality of Christ to the world. And what Paul is saying is here is, that's a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus.
So think what Paul is saying in this text to us today as we, as we wrap up. Paul says we are to live lives worthy of the gospel. He says, listen, children of God, followers of Jesus, there is expectations of us as followers of Christ. And he says, how should you live a life worthy of the gospel? He says, first of all, we should be fighting for unity in the body of Christ. Think about that the next time you're on social media and somebody that you know is a child of God posts something contrary to what you, what you believe, how are you going to respond? Here's my greatest suggestion to you. Just delete Facebook off your stinking phone because most of us can't handle it. And it just drives you crazy and it makes you angry and it makes you mad and that's not how God wants you to live. If you can't use it as a tool, get rid of it if it's ruining your life. If it's, keeping, if it's making you be disunified with other Christian people in the body of Christ, stop viewing it or whatever other social media platform is on there. So the first thing he says we should do in a life that's well-lived for the gospel, fight for unity. Be unified with the body of Christ, not disunified. Secondly, he says what? Link arms together with other people and do the gospel ministry. Advance the kingdom. And you don't, we don't need, you know, we, we want the church, we love that we can gather, but you know what? There's, we see how fragile this can be. But the kingdom of God's never chained. We can take the gospel everywhere we go, link arms with a few other people, and work together for the cause of Christ. And then he says, and stand strong together in adversity. He said, if we have adversity in our lives, guess what? It's just a sign that the, devil's, the devil thinks you're a threat. So don't be boo-hooing about it, although I'm not saying it's fun, but at least say this, God, what good can you, what good can you bring out of it? Number one, make me more like Jesus through suffering. Number two, reveal the reality of Christ to the onlooking world around it. My relatives and my friends and my family and my coworker, let them see how I suffer and see that I suffer like Jesus. Doesn't mean you don't struggle, but you suffer like Jesus and you reveal love and grace and kindness. And they go, there's something different about you. And you go, there is. And his name is Jesus. Paul says there's a way we can live a life worthy of the gospel. And he says, this is how we live that kind of life. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me this morning. Father, this is a big challenge. We read your word, Lord, and I can stand up here and, and declare it and preach it. We, and we see it as true. We know it's real. We know it's what we want, but we know this. We live in the real flesh and blood world with all of its challenges and its struggles. And this is what I pray for our church family this morning. Lord, as we live out our lives in the midst of this time of transition and change and chaos, help us to not look at all the whirlwind around us, but instead to keep our eyes fixed on you. So that, Lord, I pray for this in every one of our relationships, where it's us and another follower of Jesus, that there would be unity that there would be grace given, that there would be forgiveness given, that there would be love extended, so that offense would not take root and division would not occur and the body of Christ would not be splintered, but that rather, Lord, that you would use each of us to fight for unity in the body of Christ. Father, we want to be different. We ask for this. We want the empowerment of your spirit to live out this kind of life, to suffer well in the midst of adversity, 
to link arms together and do gospel ministry together. Lord, we seek your empowerment by the Holy Spirit. We open up our hearts right now. We say, oh Lord, here we are. Get rid of everything that doesn't belong. Point it out to us. We repent of it. We turn away from it. And then, Lord, help us to live our lives in, in, in step with you in such a way that you help us live out this life of unity with our church family and unity with the greater body of Christ. And Father, we would also ask this today. As all of us are together in this place, just maybe, Lord, there's someone in our, in our midst, whether in our church family right now or, or someone watching online right now who, who's never really given their life to you. They've never really said yes to you. They, they, maybe they even attend church, but they've never said yes to you. They've never said, I need Jesus as my Savior and Jesus as my Lord. And I want to stop being the God of my own life and I want the Lord Jesus to be Lord of my life. And as you're feeling that today the Bible says you can ask Christ your life you can confess him as Lord you can ask him into your life you can turn away from you being Lord and, and invite him to be Lord of your life and the Savior who washes away your sin and makes you brand new and you can do that in the quietness of this moment so you say I need Jesus right now You can pray like this, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of all the garbage in my life that's come from just my own foolishness and my own lack of wisdom and knowledge on how to live. And on this day, Lord, I welcome you into my life. I ask you to come into my life and forgive all the garbage and all the junk and take it all away and make me brand new. And today, Lord, I want to ask you to be the Savior of my life. I'm going to turn away from my old way and I'm going to follow you. And I ask you to be the Lord, the one who leads me from this day forward. So on this day, Lord, I give myself to you. I trust you with my life. Help me now from this day forward follow you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Church, God is showing us that we can live a life worthy of the gospel. We can live a life that honors Christ, that we live in step with Him. We can welcome Him to our life if we don't have Him. And some of you may be done that today here or online. If you've done that today, you've taken the first step in the right life, the life that God designed you to live. If you don't have a church home, Portview's here to help you. Let us know that you've asked Christ in your life and we'll help you. For the rest of you who say, yes, Christ is in my life already, ask the Lord this week, how could I live this out? How could I live this practical message from Paul in my life? Is there any area that I'm being danced How could that be fixed? How can I link arms with other people? How can I stand strong in suffering? And I believe this, the Spirit of the Lord will help us because He wants us to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. Amen? Let's stand together.
I want to close by praying this, this benediction over us today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, friends. Have a great day in Christ. If you need prayer this morning, I'll be here. I'll gladly pray with you. Otherwise, make your way out of sanctuary. Take the unity and the love of Christ to your neighborhood and your friends and your family. And let's see Jesus change our world through the unified church. God bless you.